This is a WTOP original podcast. Welcome to another episode of The Vine Guy. I'm your host, Scott Greenberg. In this episode, I have the absolute pleasure of speaking with one of my best friends, Blair Pence, owner of Pence Vineyards in Santa Barbara, California. Now, Blair and I grew up together in Central California, where we became great friends in high school. But after college, we kind of lost touch with each other. But an unexpected twist of fate brought us back together three decades later through wine. Now, we have a lot of catching up to do and a few wines to taste. So, I invite you to drink in this conversation with my dearest friend, Blair Pence. Blair, thank you so much for being here. I'm blown away that we're actually here in the studio together after knowing each other for over 40, over 30 50, years. Over 30, def- 45? 45 years. 45 years. Okay. 45 years. Maybe more. Oh, my God. <laughs> we'll stop there. <laughs> you know, and, and growing up in California, you know, in Central California, where you and I grew up, wine was not really a thing. No, it wasn't. No. I mean, I, I certainly didn't drink. Well, I didn't drink in high school. <laughs> which everybody, well, that makes one of us. <laughs> everybody thinks it's kind of ironic what I'm doing now. But uh, So after high school, you went to USC, University of Southern California. I went to UC Irvine. And we kind of lost track of each other. And then through this bizarre twist of fate, I see that you actually have a vineyard and a ranch in Santa Barbara and, uh, you know, while we were on a college tour for one of our kids, we ended up reconnecting. And I got to tell you, it was great. And, I, and, it, and I'm so grateful for that because now that we're staying in touch and, you know, we're, we're back together. Uh, more wines know, to drink. Many, many more wines <laughs> to drink. I have to tell you that Blair and I are like those uh, two little kids who keep teasing each other. And we kind of continue to do that by with wine. <laughs> So, you know, he'll bring a wine and then I'll bring what I consider to be a better wine. And then, of course, he can't stand that. So then he brings an even better, better wine. But that is a story for another day. And man's uh, got to do what a man's got to do. That's right. <laughs> and I am so glad I'm the beneficiary of what you got to do. <laughs> so, Blair, take me through. Like, so I did lose touch with you after college. Where where did you go? I, well, you, wouldn't, you, you stayed in L.A.? Yeah. Well, I was I was busy at college. So, uh and one day, one of my fraternity brothers at the Delt House came in and announced to everyone that he was going to go into the wine business. Well, he said, well, that's interesting. What is it? And between Jack Daniels and beers, I started drinking really good California cult Cabernet wines, like Old Ingle Nooks, Heights, Martha's Vineyards, all these great wines. Cool. So I got an interest excuse me, early and came out of college and started going to Napa like everybody does. You know, that's how you start. And then at one point, though, I discovered Burgundy. And I've been going to Burgundy now for 23 years. All bets were off. That just hit me like a sledgehammer. Yeah, but you didn't do you didn't own a winery right out of college. I mean, you oh, had a career. No, you, I was you, I'm a real estate developer. Right. So you developed real estate in Los Angeles. You need another business. Yeah. Right. How do you make a small fortune in <laughs> you wine? You need another business. Yeah, exactly. One that has this cash flow. That's right. So you're you become a real estate developer. Take me through that. I don't know. I again, I lost track. I didn't know what you were doing. Well, I started in commercial real estate in downtown Los Angeles, and within three years, I had started my company and. I uh, was building office, started a self-storage company, sold that, uh, then built office buildings in industrial parks around California. And that went on for how long? Oh, it still goes on, actually. Oh, okay. I still have that oh, company, that. but oh. uh, I'm not as active in, in current building now and more asset asset management. Okay. So then you've got the wine bug, you've been tasting wine, you've made trips to Burgundy, you're probably in some fancy wine clubs. 
<laughs> as many as I can join. Yeah, right. <laughs> what took you from being a real estate developer in Los Angeles to, oh, you own a, you own a ranch. A, a ranch here a, in Santa Barbara. A, a ranch in Santa Barbara. You've got, I think, 50 acres under Vine. Under Vine, yeah. 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 So what the hell? <laughs> How did that well, happen? I, I, you know, I think maybe my Bakersfield roots were tugging at me at some point because I wanted land. In Los Angeles, that's a, that's a premium. And so I looked north and saw the San Inez Valley and thought, oh, this is kind of fun. So I kind of went up there on a flyer. I bought my first ranch and started doing cutting horses and uh, breeding them. And, and uh, four ranches later, I was going back and forth. And this has been going on now for 20 years. But uh, I, started, I was also looking at what was going on in the wine, in the wine world. Yeah. And then that started, that looked interesting. Yeah. Well, for people who don't know, cutting horses, which you and I obviously grew up riding, but uh, for people who don't know, cutting horses are horses that are used in, in herding cattle. Correct. Right. So, you know, they have to be trained to... Yeah, uh, they're, yeah. They're, a, they're a very specific breeding of uh, American quarter horse. Right. And uh, best horses ever. Love, pretty, love cutting horses. They're pretty amazing. They are amazing. <laughs> amazing animals. You said four ranches? You went through yeah, I've four, had four iterations. I've had four ranches. Four iterations. Yeah. yeah. And at what point did you go from cutting horses to grapes? Well, I'm, I still have horses, and we still yeah. have about 30, 35 horses at the ranch right now. But I kept looking at, the, at what was happening with grapes, and I said, okay, but I, I've got to start fresh with this, though. I need to look. For, I'm not looking for a horse ranch now. I'm looking for a vineyard. And so that's a different set of criteria in terms of. Uh, uh, what what we're looking for uh, that you're looking at at terroir and right. uh, much different. Did you buy a ranch that already had vines, or did you do no. this? I wanted a clean slate, absolutely, wow. and I wanted virgin dirt. I didn't want anything to have been grown there before. So it was a former cattle ranch. So we were, you know, as I say, we we're looking for specific things. We we're looking for soils types. Um, a lot of our area is sandy soils. For me, growing in sand is like hydroponics. I, okay. I, that's not what I'm interested in. Yeah. So that was a big thing. We have a lot of clay and calcareous materials, which I think make for interesting wines. And then uh, we had great water, um, better water than, than most places where you could actually drink from the deep water well. So uh, that was important. And then also the property, it was long and skinny. It's 200 acres, but it's two miles deep. <laughs> So there's a lot of different terrain, and so that gives you different sun aspects and different slopes and just more opportunities to differentiate between blocks in the vineyard. And, and what are you growing now on those? We're those growing about years? half Pinot, about one-third Chardonnay, and the balance between Gamay and Syrah. All right. And I know we're going to, in a little bit, we're going to be tasting three of your wines, which I'm really excited about because <laughs> I can say I know Blair Pence and know him well. Fair yeah. enough. Uh, for purposes of this podcast, I'm not going to go into your back your, your backstory because <laughs> I think we'd have to change this to an X-rated uh, podcast of it. So you, you're now so Virgin Dirt. Yes. How, how long ago? So when did you buy? I, when did you uh, buy the vineyard found this, or the ranch that is now your vineyard? I found this site in 2005. We began planting in 2006. Uh, first real vintage was 2010 and then uh, started really selling more grapes to others. And in fact, I, my original plan was not to be in the wine in the wine business. I just wanted a vineyard. And uh, so in 2009, I had a little bit of a crop and one of the local winemakers was very excited about our potential and said, I'd like to make the wine. I said, okay, try it. Let's make it. And so he did it. And they probably made wine from 12, 15 different vineyards and they loved it. In fact, it got the highest score of any of their wines that year. And so he said, I want it. I want it all. So I said, okay, that seems pretty simple That's to nice, me. That's nice, right? Yeah, yeah simple. I, my, my business plan is done, right? Yeah. Here I sell Sign the X, X winery. Yeah. Um, so next year, 2010, all the, you know, nice full crop, all goes to this winery. Well, the only problem was that they stiffed me. What? <laughs> yes. 
I didn't see a penny. So, but under Cal- on the entire crop, on the entire crop, not one, not one penny. So that, so, so anyway, in California, there's a thing called the Growers Lean Law, and so I showed up with a semi truck and took my 80 barrels of wine. So suddenly, I'm in the wine business. So the first vintage of Pence uh, Vineyards was. You had to confiscate it. Exactly. Yeah. But it was your it was your grapes. Our grapes, but made <clears throat> wine made by another winemaker, and then we just finished it basically. And so for a couple of years, I was trying to work with you know come up with a label and how do you do this? I don't know. I'm a real estate developer. This was right. not my was not my plan. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, but we you know we figured it out, got the right people, changed winemakers, changed changed the labels, got a general manager in place, and you know did the things that you would normally do if you're planning to, to build a business. Yeah, but there was no winery on your property at that point. There's nothing on the property. No, no. Just Our, grapes. Yeah, just grapes. Yeah. yeah. So the next year, so I guess 2011, you've got more grapes. You're certainly not going to sell them back to that guy. No. So, yeah. so now we're selling, we're still selling most of the grapes, but okay. other people we're, we're right. finding. And so I'm becoming a, a grape farmer. And uh, honestly, I didn't really like that too much. I, I found that, you know, having winemakers come in, who, and, and for most winemakers, grapes grow in trucks. They really don't have any clue as to how, how a vineyard really works. And uh, you, you'll watch them go through and, and pull grapes off and taste them and everything. And, and bottom line, I, I don't think many of them know really what they're, what they're tasting or what they're doing. The, it's mostly lab results anyway. Yeah. Okay. So, you know what? <laughs> I think you just pissed off 90% of the winemakers. But, well, but nothing, kind of true to form. <laughs> Some things don't change. haven't changed at all. <laughs> Inviting controversy wherever you go. Lovely. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So, aside from winemakers not knowing anything about grapes, <laughs> you decide that, so 2011, you've got this crop. You're selling, again, most of them, but not back to that 2010 guy. No. no. <laughs> He's cut He's off. Done. At what point is it go, the light bulb goes off and you're like, you know what? We, 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 you might still be selling grapes, but now you're going to be making your own wine. No, it's actually in 2011. We, uh, we knew that we were going to start making our own wine. All right. And, and, uh, and then it was building the team. So I, I first, uh, a very, very good friend of mine that I'd known through Chevalier, uh, Stephen Janes, who had built the Melville and the Brewer Clifton brands, right. became available. So I was able to grab him and then fr- the two of us built the team from there. Wow. And, and were you using a Custom crush facility. We were initially, point? yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Was that the one in Buellton? Uh, it was a little outskirts area. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. yeah, originally Terravon, but then we moved yeah. to another one. All right. Yeah, because yeah. yeah. I remember Terravon. Yeah. Uh, but on, so now, are you still using that facility? Or no, no, no. We you, have our own winery. You built one. Well, no, not yet. We we have uh, right now. We're in in uh, what they call the wine ghetto, the industrial space in uh, Lompoc. Okay. And we have our own space. We have about. 75, 8,000 8, feet. All right. And so, but you're doing everything. I mean, so you're buying barrels, you're buying corks, you've got a bottling line. I mean, it's a lot of work. I mean, it's one thing to grow grapes, which by the way, is a lot of work. I mean, it's very, you know, machinery, you know, you got to have a lot of capital sunk into a vineyard, <laughs> uh, but it's a whole different ball game when you, you go from, you know, vineyard to, from grower, you're a grower right. into winemaker. Definitely. So uh, it's two different businesses in a lot yeah. of ways. But but the trick is you got to integrate them. And so and and what I found is mostly again that the the winemakers really think about the wine and and most of them don't think that much about the vineyard. And the vineyard people are growing grapes and and then they kind of hand it off. And and what I wanted to do was make that handoff not so abrupt and distinct, but make it more uh, collaborative. And so that's something we've tried really hard to do. And I think we're starting to see 
really some good results from that from that effort. So you really take this from bud break to bottle. Absolutely. That's cool. Yeah. That is, that is. Yeah. No, our 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 vineyard manager and our ranch manager and our vineyard nutritionist, uh, myself and my wife Diane, we all sit with the winemakers and with Stephen James, our general manager, uh, several times a year and taste through and taste through and taste through and and it's really interesting to see the lights come on and, and all of a sudden the vineyard manager is talking to the winemaker about what he did differently in the vineyard in this particular block that particular year and what he was trying to do. And, and they're, they're now planning together. There's, there's no more, no longer a handoff. Now it is totally together. It's integrated. Correlated, yeah. It's totally integrated. Now I know that I've had your wines and I have to tell you, Blair, nothing makes me smile more than going into a wine shop today or on uh, into a restaurant and seeing your wines either on the shelf or on the list, and it just, I'm I'm so happy for you. I really am, and I'm I'm proud of my buddy. <laughs> I'm like really excited that this this was not in our plan. I mean, you and I were going to live in Beverly Hills as neighbors. If you recall, when we were 18 years old, we're like, yep. this is our plan. We're going to graduate and take over the world, and we're going to live next door to each other. And, yeah. Well, okay. Oh, close. So, yeah, close. 3,000 miles apart. Not not bad. You know. Same country. Yeah, same country. We're going to live in America. Yeah. <laughs> On uh, opposite coasts. Yeah. No, it's fun. I mean, like to this this uh, weekend, we're staying in D.C. and we're there at the St. Regis and we walk in and there's my wine right in the rack as you walk into the dining room. I go, that's cool. <laughs> that is cool. Yeah, I mean, yeah. okay, I'm just going to ask, did you point out who you were or say, hey, thanks for carrying my wine? Or, I thanked him. Okay, Absolutely. Yeah. Right. That's, yeah. That is awesome. Yeah. Now, I'm going to switch tracks a little bit because I'm, I've tasted your wines. makes me happy. But you mentioned that you've been to Burgundy 23 years in a row now. Yeah. So has that influenced your philosophy or has it somehow um, – uh, taking you on a path when you make your own wines? Is there, is there any? You know, Absolutely. Yeah? Absolutely. Tell me about um, it. I'm not a big fan. Okay, here I'm going to piss off some more people. Oh, good. <laughs> I'm just not that big and a fan of early. most California wines. I'm an old world palate guy. Okay. I, I, I think wines should go with food. They should support food. I don't think they're cocktails. Uh, I want to craft a wine that is that is going to age and reflects its terroir. It doesn't reflect uh, winemaking. You know, in, in France, you have a vigneron. You don't have a winemaker. There's no such thing as a winemaker in France. So um, that's uh, that's what we're striving to to be. Okay, but but you are making and clearly beautiful wines with the the fruit you have from the area you're growing it in. You're not trying to be Burgundian per se. You're no, just trying to make the best wine. No, they're California grapes. I can't yeah. turn them into Burgundy grapes. So, right. But but what I can do is keep in mind the protocols that have developed over a hell of a thousand years in Burgundy, you yeah. know, and, and, you know, these people have really been thinking about, it. they've been doing it. And just because you can get a level of phenolic ripeness that is higher than they can do anywhere else in the world, doesn't mean that's what you should do. Right. And so, so I, I don't want to build a 16% alcohol wine. I want a 13% wine or whatever, right. somewhere right, in that right. range. Um, and, and I want acidity. I, again, I want this to go with food, right. and and acidity is the key to that. Right. So we kind of just geeked out there for a second because he said <laughs> phenolic ripeness. For those of you who don't know, that means just a physical ripeness of the grape, where you know you get all the things that are aligning. You get the acidity, you get the sugar levels that you want in the grape, you get um, tannins from the seeds that you're looking for. So anyway, that's phenolic ripeness. Just <laughs> for those of you who, you know, some people know that, some people don't. Oh, yes, I think good. it's important you're here to, to educate. Kinda, yeah, here to you know, <laughs> point that out. Um, well, we I find that sometimes we geek out a little bit, right? You know, so that's uh, 
Um, now, you mentioned you want to grow the grapes from the region where they're from in, in California. And where are you located? Where is what, what's the what's the ABA? So we're the San Rita Hills. Okay. Um, Love and, the area. Yeah, which is the, the western part of the San Inez Valley, about 40 minutes north of Santa Barbara. Okay, what makes it special? Uh, what really makes it special is the fact that the Teutonic plates shifted in that one particular area. And if you think about northern and, and, and North and South America along the coast, there's predominantly a mountain, a mountain right. range along yeah. the coast, the coastal yeah. range, and then you have valleys inland from there. And the mountain range stops the wind, and then you have higher heat on the east side of the range. In our particular area, the Teutonic plates shifted 90 degrees and thus creating a wind tunnel for the winds that come actually down north to south along the coast and then zoom into this into this wind t- tunnel through the San Ynez Valley. And uh, our ocean temperatures are really pretty close to the same as at the very tip of Northern California. It's cold, oh, cold water. Wow. And so that, that air comes in and that gives you what we call a, a situation, we call it um, refrigerated sunlight. Where we have a, a lot of sun, I've never but, it's, heard that. but it's cold. And that wind turns on every day about 1, a, 1 p.m., uh, just God flips the switch and the fan comes on. And so as in the western edge where we are, it's really great for Burgundian varietals. But as you move east, the, the wind does dissipate and the heat takes over. So as you move from west to east in the San Inez Valley, your average Fahrenheit temperature increases about one degree per mile. So am I, am I getting this right that the Seninez Valley runs east to west and not Correct. north to south? Correct. So that's what's creating that tunnel. Exactly. All right. And and the wind is coming from uh, east to west? Is it blowing no, offshore no, no, no. or is it's, it coming west to east? No, it's west. It's, it's, it comes basically northwest. It's coming okay. down from the north along the okay. coast and then moves in westward, westerly, or easterly rather, right. because yeah. at that point it has that opportunity. So it's it being blocked until that it point. It comes down, makes a left turn. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's really cool. So, so um, closer to the ocean, as you said, on the western side of the valley, you get, like you said, that what did you refrigerated sunlight? Refrigerated sunlight. Oh, you should patent that. I like that. <laughs> okay, so you get that refrigerated sunlight. So that's great for the the Chardonnay and the Pinot. And then as yes. you move further east, a little further inland, right? You it heats up. Yes, and, and then you see a, a, a Rhone varietals are more dominant okay. in in that area. And then as you go. F- Farther to the east, the area what's called Happy Canyon, then you get into the uh, Bordeaux varietals, you know, the, the Cabernets and, the, and, the, and that sort of thing. Yeah, very cool. So, yeah. uh, you know, it's now time for us in, in this podcast to do what <laughs> I think is my favorite part of the podcast. We are now going to be tasting these wines. Fair enough. <laughs> this is interesting because when we were pouring the wines before the podcast, you said, I want to start with the reds first because we're, we're going to taste two reds and a white. Correct. And, you know, traditionally, I always think of starting with the whites and then working into the reds. But well, you have a different philosophy today. Well, I think that's great within the context of food. And typically, that as a meal progresses, it goes from lighter to heavier courses. Right. And that is the natural way of doing things. But here in the studio, we don't have a... A large meal in front of us. And so what I find is if you taste the whites, our whites are very acidic. And if you taste those first, the red will fall flat on your palate because there's nothing, your your mouth, there's nothing to recondition your mouth, if you will. You you don't have a a palate cleanser. Okay. Well, so what are you going to start us off with then? We're going to start you with one of our Pinots. uh, And this is a block specific Pinot. So it comes out of a two and three quarter acre block uh, we call it Unum. It was for the first block that we uh, that we planted, um, and uh, it's very heavy clay soils, north south uh, row orientation. Uh, uh, if you're into clones, it's six six seven on Riparaglory uh, rootstock, uh, and uh, 
it gives you a pretty good sense of what our wines taste like, but it's very pure to this block. And if if you think about Burgundy, the best Burgundies are grown from very small parcels. And, and so what we try to do is we have a couple of Burgund- of, of, of uh, Pinots that have uh, earned that, or at least to us, they have earned that uh, ability to be single block wines. Wow. And, and um, 2017. So it's a 2017 yes. Pence right. Vineyard Unum? Yes. So this Very is current good. vintage. Right. Current vintage. And I have to say, just on the nose, super savory and, yeah. and earthy, too, at the same time. So, you know, wow. Yeah. 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 I really um, love this nose. Maybe a, a little bit of um, like a black tea and savory notes and and kind of this um, beautiful earthiness to it just on the nose. Yeah. I, I, I want to try this. <laughs> you got to talk while I try this. Right? This is not just radio silence mm. as we're going through this. Slurp, slurp. Um, mm. Yeah, so this is uh, this is kind of mm. right down the middle Pinot. And uh, it's uh, got a little bit of whole cluster in it, but this is primarily destemmed. And uh, I think a couple of things that really make this wine, you know, there's there's obviously the grapes and, and, and picking at the right level of acidity, which is just absolutely key. Um, so I, I do think it comes to the vineyard. But one thing that we do that's a little different from a lot of other uh, most most wineries is we ferment all of our reds in concrete. Hmm? Yeah, so that's old world. That's that's very old world. Ferment so, in it's concrete. It's expensive, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wouldn't I wouldn't think so, but well, particularly for a contractor. <laughs> I wish I could build them myself. Okay. So <laughs> and I wish I could store them somewhere. In concrete. <laughs> ferment in concrete. Yeah. So you're not moving those suckers. No, you're not. That's you're devoting that floor space twelve months a year okay. to that to that use. But it's like you know we start with stainless steel, and I don't know if you ever. You ever drink coffee from a stainless steel mug? Yeah, of course. And, and, yeah. and you feel that little thing on your tongue. There's a little like a the metallic little yeah, kind of yeah, a buzz. Kind it's of a buzz, buzz thing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And there is, uh, there's a connection there. There's a reason why that does that. And in the concrete, you don't have that. It's a softer mouth feel. There, it's it's also it's a heat sink. So we it slows our fermentation. We don't control the fermentation. We know in stainless steel you attach yeah. the glycol hoses yeah. and got, guys have, it's, yeah, it's a controlled ferment. Yeah, right? I mean, guys in have the, computer programs with and the they jackets just, and yeah, yeah. So we just let her go, and so we're very very minimal intervention in the wine in the winemaking process. Wow. Now, are you using natural yeast or are you all inoculating? Natural all natural yeast. Yeah. Again, that's one of the things you can do when you're buying your own grapes. Right. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, we, we grow organically in the right. vineyard. Oh, we, I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. So we, we, know what we, we know what we have and we've got those yeasts in the vineyard. And so uh, that's really important to us. I think that's a big part of the wine. So on your website, I actually saw the Albox. I actually, when I saw the Albox, I thought, I wonder if they're growing oh, yeah. organic. With, uh, last year, we just uh, replaced all the Alboxes, brought in 38 more with the Raptor Perches and everything. Thing. We had the guy come down from St. Elena, who's the specialist wow. in it, and map out the whole site and everything. Wow. Yeah. So Very one cool. owl eats a, eats a lot of rodents. Yeah. <laughs> Good. Yeah. Good. So this wine, I, th- I think it's brilliant. It's Thank brilliant. You. I love this wine. First of all, I'm going to just tell you, I think this has got ageability. I agree. Um, I think this is something that if you've got the patience, eight, ten years from now, it's, it's stunning today. It's going to be stunning ten years from now. It just has that. It's it's beautifully balanced. I love the mouthfeel on this. It's mm-hmm. it's somewhere between um, silky and aggressive. I don't really know how else to describe it. It's kind of like us. Yeah, <laughs> silky and aggressive. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> this just took a left turn. Uh, 
But this is this it's and the the flavor profile of it is just beautiful. I'm getting, you know, this kind of a little bit of cinnamon and clove and this beautiful black cherry, you know, in yeah. in the in this mouthfeel. It's just well done. Thank you. I'm so yeah, glad I know you. I, yes. You know, I, I can only take so much credit. There's a lot of God in here. Okay. There's, you know, it's farming, right? You Absolutely. started with farming. Absolutely. But it is a beautiful wine. Congratulations, Blair. That's really. Thank you. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm okay. I know where I'm going to get in my okay. stocking. Next. All right. Next. What, what do you got in the, uh, what's the next red we've got in front our of us? Our next wine is uh, Sebastiano Syrah. And this actually are some grapes we buy from right next door to us. So it's, it's virtually the same terroir. Um, okay. They planted Syrah before we did. And so uh, we wanted to get into the Syrah game, and we now have Syrah on our, on our ranch, and know there will be more of it coming, coming through. Uh, this is a whole cluster, yeah, okay. which is kind of interesting. Kind of interesting for Syrah. Yep. And, uh, again, concrete fermentation and native yeast. It just uh, has kind of a, a gaminess to it. Oh, yeah, uh, right off the bat. You know, we're t- this is uh, our uh, attempt to make a, a Northern Rhone-inspired wine. Cool. So uh, back up for just a second and explain to those of us who – are listening and don't know what whole cluster means when you say whole cluster fermentation? Right. Um, probably 99% of the red wine out there is, or white wine too, actually, is, is de-stemmed. So you take the, ra- the grapes off the rachis and then they're processed. Um, and you need to do that typically because uh, it's kind of, stem inclusion is tricky because it can be, uh, if it's not properly lignified, um, it can add bitterness. You're out again, lignified. Sorry, <laughs> the ripeness in the stems. There you it has, go. <laughs> it has to be. It has to be just right. Oh, and these so, winemakers drive me. Yeah. <laughs> so certain blocks, I think, have a tendency to work that way, and other blocks don't. And so we don't try to force everything into the same into the same glass. It, it, there, it, it's. Certain blocks want to do it one way, other blocks want to do it another way. That's we 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 trellis our grapes differently. We prune our our, our vines differently on different blocks, and and we can do that because we have our own crew. They're all in salary, and and so I can tell them this block I want spur pruned, and this one I want cane pruned, and this one I want you know one you know one way, and I want the other one the other way. So, right. yeah. um, so this but this is a. This is a kind of a fun wine. It's 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 hopefully reminiscent of a of a Hermitage or a Cote Rôtie. Well, you, you took the words right out of my mouth. I was just going to say, if I tasted this wine, I would have said Hermitage. Mm-hmm. Literally, would have said Hermitage. So the nose, kind of barnyardy, you yes. know, does have that gaminess, a little bit of that horse blanket, mm-hmm. uh, you know, going on in there. Not a bad thing, by nope. the way. You know, I, I that's what I look for in a Syrah. Right. But then in in the mouth, it it's Hermitage. Yeah. It's I would have if I'm tasting a blind, I would have said. That's absolutely Hermitage. It has the typical that tobacco pop mm-hmm. that I, I look for in a Hermitage. Yeah, the and graphite, that, the beautiful, right? Yeah. That sort of that lead pencil, you know, um, graphite and and that um, backbone too of, of black fruit. Yeah, this That's, is another one that will age. Yeah, oh yeah, and the balance again it is great. And I'm not tasting big alcohol in. No, what's the alcohol? Probably thirteen percent. Oh my like. god, That's it's where it should be. Yeah, but <laughs> it's not where they are. I mean, you have no. neighbors, not to be named. Right. Uh, you have neighbors who are making Syrahs uh, upwards 16 17%, you know, just be- heading into the port range. Yeah. <laughs> just because you can doesn't, doesn't mean, mean you, you should. should. <laughs> <laughs> I love how we finish each other's sentences. Uh, um, yeah, again, just congratulations. Thank you. That is just it's, a... It's, it's, it's a fun wine, and... And uh, uh, I, I give our, our uh, winemakers a lot of credit for this because 
they were um, adamant that we should mm-hmm. grow Syrah and that we should make Syrah, and they, they and I think they were absolutely right. All right, so I just swallowed that. I'm sorry. Yeah, <laughs> that's getting really good. Um, so now, in the unconventional manner of which you are so adept at, <laughs> uh, we are we are finishing uh, our flight with a uh, Chardonnay. Correct. Right. Yeah. So this is. Um, Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, so this is a, another block-specific uh, wine, uh, and uh, it's our probably our most opulent of, of Chardonnays. Um, and it's uh, I, I love uh, one of the things I really like, and we're we're very careful about is where we get our great materials. And and uh, so this is all Mount Eden Chardonnay that I got from Jeff and Ellie Patterson, the cuttings okay. at Mount Eden. And yeah. and, and uh, so what we do, we don't buy uh, bench grafted. Uh, vines where the, the, you know there's there's a rootstock and a and a cultivar and they've been done at a nursery and then you plant them in. Right. We actually just buy the rootstock, plant the rootstock, and then we grow it for three years and then we field graft. Wow. And in the meantime, I go out and find what I think is really interesting material. So in this case, it's it's a uh, Jeff and Ellie's uh, Chardonnay. I just did a block with Jeff and Ellie's Pinot too, which will be kind of fun. Some out Eden, and then uh, Josh Jensen uh, gave me some. Uh, Cuttings from Calera of his favorite block out of Calera, so I've got that, and just so it's 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 really kind of fun, you know. So, um, and you know these like the Syrah, all that stuff. It comes from very interesting. Um, it has good bones, hopefully. So, and and I think it's important to point out what you're doing is expensive. Yes, it know? is more expensive. doing. It's more expensive it's more planting expensive. rootstock, waiting three years. Yes, and then you know grafting. Right. Yeah. But right. on the other hand, you get to make your own palette. I mean, right? So you've got this, you can put any of these uh, these vine cuttings onto your rootstock and really create something that, exactly. you know, customized. And, 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 and to truly know what we're getting. I'm, I'm not ever convinced that when you buy it from the nursery that you know exactly what you're, what you're yeah. buying. Wow. Um, so. Wow. Again, great nose. Mm. Yeah. yeah. And again, more opulence in this wine are... Uh, our other Chardonnays tend to be a little leaner. Um, mm. um, this 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 has some oak. Yeah, a little bit. Um, yeah. and, and it's uh, it's actually aged in a foudre. Okay. So Again, tell people what a foudre is. Okay, so a foudre in the case is anywhere from a five to ten barrel equivalent right. uh, cask. It's a big uh, ass barrel. Yeah. So ours are seven <laughs> seven barrels. Uh, equivalent, and uh, they're custom made for us by Hermitage. Uh, we order one every year. They're they're. Fifteen, eighteen thousand dollars a piece. So they're right. again, they're not cheap, right. but they're beautiful and they're thick wood. And 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 what changes is the ratio of wood contact to volume. Right. So smaller vessel, more wood contact. So you have more overt oak characteristics right. if you age in, in in new oak like that. Whereas in the foudre, it's like the oak is more underneath the wine, and and it doesn't. It it just comes in differently. And these foudres, because of their thickness, will continue to impart that oak characteristic over several years. Right. So they're not just one and done. No, 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 no. But uh, so and and they're they're just beautiful. And and we're just really really pleased. We're doing more and more of our whites in the in the foudres. I think we now have six or seven of them. You know, we just every one year we buy another one. I can't imagine the shipping cost. <laughs> <laughs> Getting one of those suckers through the door. Yeah. <laughs> they kind of go with the concrete fermenters. <laughs> <laughs> so, wait, okay, I'm going to ask a silly question, but what are you doing with the old footers? The old footers? No, right now they're all in. They're all in. They're You're all, using all of them. We're using all of them. Okay. Uh, yeah, so we're right. actually implementing them more and more in our other Chardonnays as well. Okay. Um, we originally thought we would 
move uh, as they neutralize, we thought we'd use them for Syrah. And so that's because that's the old school uh, Syrah method. And we still may do that. But at this point, the fooders are just so beautiful and they're doing such a great job with the Chardonnay. And once you, you know, if you move them to red, you can't take them back to white. Right. No, so, no, so, yeah. so right now we're, we're just going to let the ship sail in the same direction. Wow. And I, and I have to say, so this one, beautiful green apple, gala apple at the same time in there. Beautiful. You know, again, the thing that all three of these wines have in common is it's just this mouthfeel, the balance mm-hmm. in your mouth, you know, the, the, the way that it coats everything. It's beautiful. But, you know, um, and I hate using analogies of California wines to French wines, but um, I, I, we've already done it, right? We've already <laughs> talked about it. This one, it, you know, it's somewhere like, to me, it's a cross between a Montrachet and a Chablis. Yeah, I would say it's a Puini. You know, yeah, it's it's yeah. just kind of got that just enough oak, but it's um, got that high acidity, wonderful crispness to it, yep. um, like we had last night. Yep. We had a beautiful uh, Chardonnay from yep. Burgundy, uh, and and this has that same quality to me, uh, and it's but then that oak is underneath it, right. it it lifts the wine. It doesn't dominate the wine. Right. You don't want the oak on top, right? And um, you know, somebody once told me oak is like salt. A little is good. A lot yeah. is you know. Not yeah. so good. The other thing that makes this a little different from a lot of California wines is we don't arrest mallow. Uh, so mm. this has gone through full malolactic, uh, but it's got such high acidity, uh, you don't you don't taste it. It, it doesn't come right. across that buttery that buttery feel. Right. So uh, it's a, yeah. we think that that all wine has to get a hundred percent through fermentation, and if you stop it somewhere. It's going to want to do it at some point in time. And that may happen in the bottle. Right, which was, causes fizz, right? Yeah. You know, that effervescence that you sometimes get. Yeah, yeah. yeah and, it, and, and, and that's when it becomes a completed product. And, you know, uh, Sasha and John feel very strongly about that. And I, and I think they're right. Okay, who are, remind me who are Sasha and John. Okay, so Sasha Mormon uh, is, uh, and John Faulkner are our two winemakers. Okay. Um, Sasha is uh, kind of the, uh, the more executive winemaker, if you will, mm-hmm. and John is more the hands-on. But they've been working together for 17 years, so it's... Uh, it's not like they don't, very cool. you know, they, they know what they're doing together. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, you and your wife, Diane, are also very involved in the tasting and the, the oh, yeah. blending. Oh, and yeah. The well, we have, a, we have a house on the ranch. We, right. we, we live in, a, you know, from 1907. Wow. So. You don't look that old, but okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> One of my first efforts. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have to say, Blair, I hate to bring this to a close. This is more fun than I could have possibly have imagined. And having you here, knowing our history together uh, as kids and now sitting in a studio in Washington, D.C., talking about wine, I would you have ever thought this? Uh, it probably wasn't the way I thought things would happen. Yeah. But uh, yeah. but it's good. You know, I, I've, I've totally enjoyed it. And I think I love doing real estate. I still like doing the deals. There's still something about that that, right. that kind of makes things tingle. Um, but I, I wanted to become more balanced as, as a person and, and just have more than just being a, you know, a real estate guy. And uh, this has given me that opportunity. Well, you are not only balanced, but so are your wines. <laughs> as, as we wrap up, I'd like you to just remind our listeners, what are the three wines that we had with, with the vintages and all that? I think they were all 2000. Oh, no, no, excuse me. The, the Syrah was the 2016 Sebastiano. The other, the Pinot and the Chardonnay were both uh, 2017 um, vintages. Yeah, but the, the, so the Pinot is the 2017 Pence. Unum. Yes, yes, Unum. and then and then the uh, the uh, the Rosa was the uh, was the Chardonnay, um, and and just by the way, well you can't see it on radio, <laughs> but but on each each of these images on on the bottles on the labels, are the yeah. are old U.S. pennies, 
So they're a play off my name. Pence. Yeah. yeah. And so these Cute. are the, so like the Unum is, is from the, it's the obverse of the original Fujio penny, the very first penny uh, minted by the U.S. Uh, and was designed by Benjamin Franklin. Wow, cool. Yeah. So anyway, this it's, so it's kind of fun. And so we have different, there's some other, uh, all of our block specific lines uh, get one of these images and that's its image. And I will say to anybody who's interested, if you, you find yourself in Santa Barbara, please Look up uh, Blair. They only do appointments. Appointment only, yes. Appointment only. But just, you know, give them a call or send them an email. Tell them you heard about him on the podcast. And trust me, it is worth a stop at uh, Pence Vineyards. Uh, it's a beautiful facility. Thank you. It's just a beautiful property. And you're a beautiful man. Oh, thanks. I'm glad you still think so uh, after all these years. <laughs> Oh, okay. All right. But we're both happily right. married. Thank you. <laughs> to women. Yes. <laughs> All right. Well, Blair, thank you so much for being here. Pleasure. Right. Been a pleasure. <laughs> Thanks for listening to The Vine Guy, a WTOP news podcast. Follow me on Twitter at The Vine Guy and catch my Wine of the Week segments on Fridays on WTOP and WTOP.com. For a complete list of the wines that we tasted today, please check out the Podcast One website. Search The Vine Guy. Sarah Beth Hensley produced this episode. The music you heard is Wishful Thinking by Dan Leibowitz, available in the YouTube audio library. And until the next episode, remember, do good, drink well.